0: Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. Really looking forward to this discussion here. We are digging in on housing, probably uh, for the most part, the number one issue New Yorkers are concerned about. Survey after survey shows it is either at the top or near the top of the list of concerns for New Yorkers. And obviously it's at the center of so many policy and budget debates, especially here under a new mayoral administration a new city council, new controller, uh, a new governor in Albany. We just had a state budget come through. We're now in the midst of getting deeper and deeper into city budget season. And there are a variety of housing policy and budget debates going on, as always, really. Uh, But it's a bit of a of a reset now here in 2022. We are a few months into the mayor's term, of course, and the new term of the city council and its 51 members. But there's a lot of new perspectives in city government. And we're awaiting a a deeper housing plan from Mayor Eric Adams at his uh, state of the city speech. It was it was a state of the city first 100 days executive budget presentation. It was a combination of a lot of things that occurred the day before we're taping this episode it was on tuesday april 26th we're here talking on wednesday april 27th and i'm very excited for this conversation because my guest is city council member Pierrina sanchez a democrat representing the 14th city council district in the bronx and the chair of the city council's committee on housing and buildings and prior to being elected to the city council in 2021 council member sanchez worked in a variety of jobs related to public policy as a city council aide in the office she now holds in the Obama administration, as an urban planner with the Regional Plan Association, as a community board member, as an advisor in the mayor's office under Mayor Bill de Blasio, uh, and, and other and other things I'm leaving off her resume. So uh, it makes a lot of sense that city council speaker, Adrian Adams, named Pirina Sanchez as the chair of the Committee on Housing and Buildings, and we are going to get into a lot of uh, related topics here on housing and buildings, including things related to fire prevention, enforcement, and so forth um, with Councilmember Sanchez in just one minute. First, if you missed any recent episodes of the show here, Max Politics, I've been having a variety of conversations with city council members, with state elected officials, with advocates and experts. You can find all of those at Max Politics wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette site. Just recently, I'll point out. I was joined by the co-chairs of the city council's progressive caucus, Shahana Hanif and Lincoln Wrestler, both of Brooklyn, had an interesting conversation about this very large progressive caucus in the city council. It's well over a majority of the, of the council and, and how they'll be trying to impact uh, the city budget, city policymaking acting as something of a counterweight to Mayor Eric Adams, who's often a bit more moderate, although not not on every issue, certainly. Uh, So that's one highlight among many. I've had a a number of state senators on the show recently leading up to the state budget and then also after, um, and also at the city council level. uh, Another highlight, although there's been others, I recently spoke with city council member Crystal Hudson of Brooklyn, who's chair of the Aging Committee, We also talked housing on that uh, podcast because housing is part of virtually everything, and it's certainly part of the concerns for older New Yorkers and people who are aging in New York City and seniors and so forth. And so got into that and a number of other issues related to aging New Yorkers with Councilmember Crystal Hudson. And then a little bit further back, uh, City Councilmember Justin Brannon, who chairs the Finance Committee of the Council, talking about the council's response to Mayor Eric Adams's preliminary budget. But we now have the mayor's executive budget. So a lot to dig into. So, again, find any and all of those at Max Politics wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette site and go through the full list of recent guests. Had a bunch of interesting conversations about uh, climate action, about cryptocurrency and a whole bunch of other things as well. So check those out and you can of course find all our recent reporting at gothamgazette.com. All right, here today on the show, I'm really uh, happy to be joined by City Council member Pirina Sanchez, a Democrat representing the 14th Council District in the Bronx, including neighborhoods of Kingsbridge, Fordham University, of, University Heights, Mount Eden, and Mount Hope. She's an Afro-Dominicana, daughter of immigrants born and raised in the Bronx. And as I said, she's chair of the Committee on Housing and Buildings. Councilmember Sanchez, thank you very much for being here. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me, Ben.
0: So uh, I've been really looking forward to talking with you. As I said, housing, obviously such uh, such an essential, important issue And also at this moment where we've got a reset in mayoral administrations, we've got the new council that you're a part of, you're chairing this uh, housing committee that will also interact, of course, with other committees like land use and others and has to uh, provide oversight of and work with uh, parts of the mayoral administration from the Department of Buildings to the housing uh, department and, of course, city planning and more. Um, And then there's, of course, the topic of NYCHA, There's there's a separate public housing committee in the council, but you can't really talk about housing in New York City without leaving out uh, with and leave out public housing, home to you know somewhere in the neighborhood of half a million New Yorkers. So, a lot to get to. But first, let me let me ask you this: when it when it comes to housing in your district, your district is predominantly uh, people of color. It's uh, heavily Latino. It is uh, a, a lower income district in the city. When you're thinking about the housing needs of your district. What is uh, at the top of the list in terms of what your constituents need when it comes to affordable housing?
1: Yeah, Uh, thank thank you so much for that. I mean, it is and. For me, my entire existence, it seems to always have been the number one issue. You know, I as you said, I was born and raised in District 14. Very proud of that and very heart of this of the district. But, you know, there's there's a duality about this district that that I always talk about and, you know, really drives me. Right. And that duality is that on the one hand, Amazing human beings, great people striving, working so hard. New York City was a ghost town, some say, during, you know, the height of the pandemic. Not here. You know, folks were still going to work. You know, these are essential workers. These are hardworking people. And there's there's vibrancy and there's music and there's all of this. But on the other hand, is all of the structural barriers we face. So growing up, you know, I, I faced housing insecurity. You know, I my my parents, my mom and my my aunt, we, we used to live in a building together in, in three different apartments. And we had a landlord that was harassing us, right? Went so far as to this the sort of story of the family goes, go so far as to start a fire in the 80s to harass families out, right? Harass part of my family out. And so 30 years later that reality of a a power dynamic where landlords are not always responsive to tenants a power dynamic where you know people don't necessarily speak the language and can defend themselves that is that is still very much at the forefront. Right. And so number one is, is that power dynamic is code enforcement and, you know, habitability and keeping, keeping what we have safe. Right. That was that kind of, you know, just hit us over the head in January with the Twin Parks fire and, and, and the, you know, the fact that it was caused by a space heater because presumably there was insufficient heat in the unit. Right. And, you know, kind of coupling, uh, coupling that with, what I live through every day, uh, sitting here in the office, I, I have a storefront and we're, we're just off the street, so people can literally look in my window, and, like knock on it, and be like, now what's up?" And so they come in here, and they're like yo but can you help me get an apartment you know i heard you i heard you really good at you know at your job so can you get me an apartment and it's like well there's a crisis and we have to build more and we have to protect what we have so you know i think that's true for all of new york city but you know really being here and being on the stoop you know it it really highlights that in a in a hard hard and real way every single day for me
0: so much of um the housing discussion comes back to affordability and uh, the the relationship between income and and rents. Uh, obviously, a city of renters predominantly. There's there's you know a, a, a chunk of folks who've been able to buy their homes, but um, when we talk about renters, and especially in your district, such a high percentage of renters, like in like in quite a few districts around the city. Um, it you know how much is um. Is is the housing crisis in your district a crisis of really high rents and how much is, is a crisis of low wages and, and people, you know, just really struggling to make ends meet? And, you know, a lot of parts of the city might look at the, the rents in your district and say, oh, those aren't those aren't too bad. But then when you look at people's incomes, it's just as painful as, as a number of other districts where. People make a little more money and the rent's higher. Um, but, but how much how much are you thinking about the the sort of interconnection between economic opportunity and, and housing affordability?
1: Oh, my God, it, it actually for me, it starts with economic opportunity. We have a median income of twenty one thousand dollars per worker in our district. You know, the the average uh, family or, or actually let me put it this way, you know, over sixty percent of our families are rent burdened, and I was a researcher before I, I came on to to. Well, I came back to government. I, I worked at RPA, and one of the things that I worked on was housing displacement and gentrification. And I had a report that you know five years ago showed that in the Bronx, driven by communities like the one that I come from, over seventy percent of households were already one income shock away. From facing eviction, right? From falling behind on rent and therefore going down that spiral. And so, absolutely, right? Like it starts, it, it, it you know, in some ways, I'm not on the economic development committee and not, you know, uh, on on it formally but it it really starts with the question of inequality and how do you drive wages up right so good union jobs like you know the green jobs like all of these things are as central to the questions about housing supply housing affordability and eviction prevention you know i i think about it you know in in some ways like there is there is. This is my hospital analogy that that I always use, right? So you you go to a hospital and you know that you know. The doctors are faced with these different difficult decisions all the time. They might have somebody who just comes in and, you know, for the past three months they've had this headache and they're just really freaked out about it and it's a little bit worse today, so they came into the ER. And so there's a really really serious underlying problem. And then they might have a gunshot victim that comes in, right? That doctor or or, or those the hospital staff have to make that decision of who am I going to serve first? Well, you have to save the life. Right? You have to make sure that you're addressing that gunshot wound and that in in the Housing space—that's the eviction crisis. That is people being displaced. That is, you know, the the harms and the pains that are pa- uh, felt today. But when you think about it, there's also this this sort of deeper underlying problem, which is that inequality, which is, you know yeah, you know, you, you could still find rents here for $1,500 $1, or something that like that for a two bedroom things that are, you know, seem crazy in other parts of the city, but you're talking about a family that might bring in $12,000 a year, $13,000 a year, because they're street vendors, because they're, you know, working at the back of this place and they don't, you know, they they don't make enough. Right. So it's, it's kind of, it's two sides of the same coin. And and so you, you kind of just, I don't know, I, you just fight, right? Like you just keep going. Yeah. You, just you just do what you can,
0: and um, the the city has taken quite a few steps in in recent years. You know, um, I I sort of have you know evaluated the De Blasio administration years as both um, sort of taking some really major steps on housing as as clearly identified as a top issue related to inequality that the mayor was focused on and really doing some some taking some big steps to to um, impact the problem and then also just not even coming anywhere close to meeting the need. Um, that's sort of how i've I've characterized it in very broad strokes that you know the mayor uh, put in place uh, quite a few important pieces, but then also the 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 sort of attention and the scale, whether it's the relationship between homelessness and housing, um you know, which need to be intertwined uh, virtually always, um or, you know, just things like the the neighborhood rezonings that they passed and so forth, and that, you know, one of the things that you just said that that remind me of is obviously the right to counsel and and making sure that most um, low income New Yorkers have a, a counsel, a legal counsel in housing court facing eviction, which clearly helped drive down evictions in a very big way. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, at, at least pre pandemic before the eviction moratorium, uh, there were still you know many thousands of evictions happening uh, per year. Um, the 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 thing that comes into play then when we're talking about um, families you describe, many families in your district, is uh, is housing subsidies, uh, making sure that people who are working can still afford rent. Uh, what? How are you thinking about housing subsidy policy, uh, voucher policy? Are you looking to sort of reevaluate at all how New York City does this work? There was a proposal at the state level to institute a new state housing voucher that did not pass in the state budget. Um, that means it's very unlikely to happen in the state legislative session because it does have a fiscal component. Um, but again, under Mayor de Blasio, the city reinvigorated and added to its housing voucher program. How are you thinking about that program as you're the the chair of the housing committee here? And is there anything from your background that you think needs to be changed in it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, think, I think the the sort of starting gamut with the housing crisis, you know, one is vast inequality, We have to tackle that we have to continue to like lift the floor for for New Yorkers who are on the side of, you know, the the most vulnerable and the lowest incomes. But then on the other on the other hand, so that's like the demand side and then the supply side on the other on the other hand is we we just have a complete shortage of housing, not just affordable housing, but just housing in general in the city of New York. We are underproducing. We should, you know, given population growth, uh, we should be um, building something like 70 or 80,000 units per year. Year. I'm not specifying any income levels here, just period. We're doing more like 30,000. right? And so every year, year after year that happens, you know, that's why we remain in, in a in the state of housing emergency, right? Like that is, that is why our vacancy rates are so low. But you know, it's also we're driving people out of the city. So so just kind of like starting there, we have an undersupply and we have to build more. That brings me to my second thing, you know, of course you want to know who is being impacted the most. And who is being impacted the most is the lowest income New Yorkers, is the most vulnerable, is the disabled community, LGBTQ youth, you know, folks that are that are grappling with homelessness at, at every turn, essentially. And so when we talk about subsidies and we talk about dollars and cents that are coming from taxpayers, it is my like strong, strong position that government should be subsidizing the the most needy right mm-hmm. so government should be subsidizing the lowest income families the the ones that are the most vulnerable and we should allow for the market to take care of the rest because the market will never take care of my you know twelve thousand dollar earning household. it will never right there is that that family cannot even meet the need of you know the 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 cost of operating their apartment, right? Like that's that's the the calculus. A building has to have enough operating income to pay its its property taxes, its you know light bills, all all of these things, and so. You know when you when you couple those things, uh, looking at something like the old 421A program, which will be expiring on June 15th, um, and then looking at 485W, which was the the governor's original sort of replacement proposal that didn't pass in this budget. You know neither of those two programs. <laughs> Especially not the 421A program that was designed 50 years ago for a completely different context. None of those do what they should in terms of delivering for the lowest income, right? 421A does not build in my community, right? It, 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 it In the sense that even the lowest income subsidized at 30% of uh, AMI, um, you know, uh, for a family of three, I think that is some, some $30,000 a year or something like that. That is not even. That, that is not the average of what is earned in my district, right? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to subsidy dollars, we have to target these programs to meet the need of the lowest incomes. And even when you do, this is when when you'll hear developers and the real estate industry and all of this say, no, 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 it, it doesn't pencil out. Like the, the math doesn't work. Like it's just math. You know, we're not, we're not trying to rake in a profit here or something like that. You'll you'll hear that actually, you know, across the board, um, nonprofit developers and, and for-profit developers to a different extents. Um, but even, even when you hear that, you know, that's when you say, okay, so we need to make sure that our subsidy dollars, when we literally give a heap of cash to a developer in the form of a tax break or or actual subsidy dollars, a loan, subsidized loan, that needs to be subsidizing the, the lowest income, but that might not go far enough for the lowest income New Yorkers. And so that's when the vouchers come in. So- you know, there might be like an HPD project that gets 421A and gets Lightech and gets 420C and gets like all these different programs. And then they, you'll also see that they also have Section 8 vouchers, right? And when you, and this is uh, amazing work that uh, has been done by LISC and UNHP. When you compare the housing stock, just all affordable units, affordable uh, in the city of New York, being that you know tenants are paying thirty percent of their income or less in rent, and you look at those affordable housing units that are affordable because they're subsidized, and there are rules, and others that are affordable because they just happen to be in you know this part of the Bronx or something like that, you know where the market is weaker, you actually see a total difference in the quality of the housing and the upkeep, right? And it is that these affordable subsidized units you know are maintaining their apartments better right and so it's it's like we need to we need to target our tools to those who need it the most Mm-hmm. And in so doing, you know we're gonna we're gonna lift the standard and we're gonna lift the quality of of that housing because we're keeping a watchful eye. You know, you're not getting that much money for your unit, but you know, we're still demanding that you maintain, you know uh, no no B, no B and c class violations, no no rodents, no rats, Heating hot water must be, you know provided, all of these kinds of things.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah let's talk about that that supply issue and letting the market do more for more people point taken very well, obviously that, um, that many low income New Yorkers and people, you know, the, 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 the other thing, you know, these conversations sometimes leave out, although uh, reports you've done and, and um, you know, many discussions talk about people moving in and people moving out of the city. This has always been a very transient city. Um, but, but, you know, very often that's of people of middle incomes and above. And, um, but in terms of letting the market do more to attract people to New York City, build the housing of people that, you know, as you said, we're, we're growing and growing and growing and the housing just not keeping up. What, from your very extensive experience, and I was reviewing some of your RPA reports uh, in preparation for this, this conversation, um, it, what, what do you see as the keys here? Um, you've written about the need for comprehensive planning. You've written about the importance of more community-generated sort of community plans, uh, sometimes, you know, called neighborhood rezonings. Um, these have often been controversial. Again, a mixed record under uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio on those that we could, you know, get into a lot of specifics on. But um, what are the keys in your mind as you sit here, we're talking on April twenty. 2022 so everybody's still fairly new to this city council new mayor immense opportunity mayor Adams says at his big speech yesterday uh, a housing plan is coming is coming soon but what do you want to see in that to address this issue of supply
1: yeah no no absolutely and and i was you know i was taking notes as, as, <laughs> as the mayor was uh giving his speech and then you know he says five million dollars for housing and i'm like <coughs> In how many years? Every year? Every year? No, it's everything for ten years. <laughs> so I was, I was uh, you know, looking looking forward to to much more, and of course, we'll continue to advocate for that. Um, but but in terms of supply, so. Here we go. So so folks will often say, New York, man, like you, you can't you can't do business. The reason why you have an undersupply of housing there is because land is so freaking expensive. You know, everything takes forever. You is a mess. Um, you know, DOB takes forever to issue you a permit. You just you can't get anything done, you know, and and the only way that we're even going to build is, is if we get these subsidies. Right. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like that's that's great thank you thank you for sharing all that and like these are all issues that we can work on right so on on the one hand you know like i said you know when when the city, is, is stepping in to be a part of the equation a part of the solution we should be producing you know the, those lowest income units and, and all of that right so when I, when I uh, along with advocates are fighting for four billion dollars let me let me speak for myself when I'm fighting for four billion dollars for affordable housing uh, preservation and construction each year uh, what I'm talking about is those kind of subsidies right? So cool, bet. Like that's that's what that's about. And then, you know, we look at the bigger picture, right? So you you said something that's that's really interesting and and important. And it is, you know, New York is more or less a transient city. You know, people come here, they might come here for a few years, they might come here for a generation, they might come here for two, and you know, it's it's sort of the nature. I think that the stat is like everywhere in the US there's like a 12% average rate of people moving in and out of, you know, particular cities or or, or something like that, right? But the question becomes one about power. Right. What is the reason that you are moving out? What is allowing you or forcing you to move out? And when you drill in on on that question, you know, it, it becomes completely different. Right. People of color, black Americans, Latinos, people of color, you know, we are most often forced out of a place that we live. And it can be as direct as, an, as facing an eviction and having to find a new home, or it can be a little bit more subtle and indirect And it can be about, you know, I'm being priced out of my neighborhood no longer uh, i can no longer afford to shop here so all right eventually you know if I can no longer afford to live here except for my rent stabilized units, you know that might push some people out right so so there are different reasons and it has to do you know i think that the important question is power and choice and giving people that autonomy to say you know, I'm I'm going to stay here or I'm going to go, but it's going to be on my terms. And so that's that's for me where the question about comprehensive planning moves in and, you know, making sure that we are a city that is valuing all New Yorkers from, you know, the New Yorkers who are. Cleaning our streets and, and keeping our lights on and, you know, the hustle and bustle that, that keeps this city literally going to to those who are, you know, more more middle income jobs to hiring right, everybody, like valuing all New Yorkers. We have to plan for that. Right. it It doesn't happen naturally. I'm sorry. Capitalist people. It just doesn't happen naturally. That's why government exists. We have to provide some frameworks and some regulation. And so, you know, a comprehensive plan for the city of New York would do some could do some some really great things like say, you know, here are here are production targets by income level. You know, here, here is how we're gonna make sure that we are not concentrating poverty or wealth, you know, and this is the role that the city is gonna play. There's gonna be affordable housing targets by community district. There's gonna be, you know, we're, we're gonna be a little bit more serious about fair share and, you know, the, the share of, you know, what kind of uses go in different places and so, when, when you talk about comprehensive planning on the sort of big picture end, and then you zoom in into like what does that mean on the day to day level? Because I'm a I'm a developer that wants to you know build a new five story building, and I need a little ULRP, mm-hmm. right? Having having this big picture you know document and, and sort of vision plan that the city comes up with with the with the citizens right with the, the with the with the residents of the city of New York can make the, and, I, and I really believe this. And like, I really believe this, it can make the land use process simpler, easier, faster. Right. If there is uh, an overarching thing, because right now we have we don't have comprehensive planning. We have a plan here. We have a plan there. And that one doesn't really talk to the other one and plan YC. But what about one NYC? Right? Like they don't they don't really necessarily talk to each other. And what you have is a lot of individual actors saying, well, I want to do three extra stories here and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to apply for my my little u And there is, you know, a council member might be like, uh, OK, Or no, or let me extract every single little thing that I can out of this development so that I can, you know, do better for my community. But if we had a bigger picture, you know, sort of framework that that could fit under, you know, we could be planning for community needs. I don't have to extract a school from a, you know, a big developer. I can say, hey. The community needs a school so you know we're just gonna we're gonna um, make sure that the capital plan and the the five year plan and all of that um, has it in there, so. All of that to say that I, I, I firmly believe that a comprehensive vision uh, for the city can can be very helpful on the sort of like pie in the skyway. Uh, I'm hearing I am, uh, I don't have too many allies inside the administration about the idea of a comprehensive plan, right? So not something that I'll, I'll stop pushing and, and a lot of us will will continue pushing on that. But, you know, right now, ULERP and, and the way that these uh, these processes uh work today is that, you know, you, you go into a Euler process, right? Like let's, let's say that you are someone who, again, you know, wants, wants to build uh five stories and 10 stories instead of five. Right. And so, so you go in for, for a land use designation and you actually not even uh, a five story, 10 stories instead of five, you just, you found an empty lot and you want to, you want to build new and, and you need a rezoning. And so you, as, as the developer, you start thinking about this, Five, 10 years ahead of time, right? And eventually there comes a point where you're like, okay, well, I should probably start talking to people about this. But I don't want to talk too much about it because you know, you, you there's like this fear that if if it gets out and if it's public, then you know it's just gonna get immediately crushed, right? And so instead, you know, it all kind of happens in silence, and maybe the council member will find out, maybe some people will find out, but it isn't until you know DCP says. All right. You have presented me an application for rezoning and it is complete, which, by the way, comes like years after they've started to think about it. That is the point at which the public finds out. And at that point, there are six months left. Right. Two months for the community board, two months for the borough president, two months for CPC. Right. And then and then the council. Right. And so at that point, it is too late and what communities feel and i and I'm speaking from my experience and and me being you know on the community board and and just seeing all of this opposition what communities feel is like y'all did all of this work y'all been talking about this forever and you just came to us and we hate this and here's the 50 different ways that you need to change this and it's probably not in scope right it's it's probably not something that the developer can do uh, within the scope of the thing that they, the application they submitted, right? So all, all of this uh, a roundabout way of saying that there needs to be engagement earlier, right There needs to be conversation earlier. And I have I have an example. Uh, I have many examples, but but I have an example of when the city did this in a different way and it was you know I was I was a staffer for for Mayor de Blasio and um, you know about a year and a half or so, I want to say it was like late 2019 early, No, no. It was like late 2018. Um, Mm -hmm sometime in 2019, that the administration came out and said that they uh, wanted to redevelop a NYCHA campus uh, downtown, Fulton, Chelsea, Elliott. And uh, they said, well, you know, NYCHA has all of these needs. So what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, it's a campus with multiple buildings. We're we're just going to demolish two of the little buildings. Don't worry, not too many people live there. And then we are going to build on those on those sites. We're going to build a tower that is going to cross subsidize and help all of the rest. Don't worry, we're going to you know, go into ULURP and we're going to do all of the approval processes and the community just like flipped, right? The residents were, you know, besides themselves, they lived there for 30, 40 years and and all of this. And so my sort of like controversial uh, suggestion with my colleagues, with the deputy mayor, with, with everyone else was, let's just listen, let's, let's just pump the brakes. Let's have a couple of months where we just listen to what folks want. And You all who feel very strongly that the best way to do this is to demolish these two little buildings and to build. You make your case. You make your case. People are smart. You just have to like level with folks. Everyone can understand. Anyone can understand anything. Right. There's nothing special about any of us. Just, you know, let's communicate well. So I say, you know, let's let's have these conversations. Let's sit down. And so we do that and I say, you guys make your best. I I never agreed with demolishing. I thought that was an insane idea, but you know, I was a staffer and I was, I was just there to to try to make sure that the process was okay. And so they made their strongest case and then the residents and the community made their strongest case and where the administration might've tried to push this through in a six month period and go into ULURP and be done in a year. It took two years, but the residents ended up being the folks who decided what do we want to build on our on our campus? How do we want to build it? And selected the developer to do the work, and actually, you know, is now in the process of, uh, you know, final design and getting getting ready for construction. So all of that to say that it maybe it took six more months, but it didn't take completely erasing a, a whole you know process of work and restarting from scratch. And so I think that the the moral of the story is, you know. Just, just trust and, and believe that we we are equals, right? And we we can share information and we can get to the right answer. But you have to be respectful of people and and believe that you know you can all sit at the table and come to the best solution.
0: Hey, hey. If there's a lot of discussion around uh, neighborhood plans, community plans, neighborhood rezonings whatever we, we might want to call them. And, and the example you're giving is not quite that, but but has similar um you know themes to it. and um you know there's there's questions around how the Adams administration should pursue these things. There's questions around whether city council members like yourself should be organizing within their um, districts to, Identify places ahead of time to be more proactive about planning, uh, whether the borough president should take a, a larger role. And I think we've got at least a, a couple of borough presidents who might try to do more of the, um, you know, at least borough based sort of comprehensive planning uh, as you got out a citywide comprehensive plan. You know, the 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 deck is certainly stacked against you and getting that in the past, as you said, but but it could happen. But but short of that, more planning at the borough level. Uh, Whether city council members should be looking in their districts and identifying areas that could be rezoned for more housing, other things, demanding new schools, et cetera, but really taking a proactive look at community planning in these ways and really figuring out, you know, just having a much more of an atmosphere in the city of we do not have enough housing. There are also lots of other community needs that can come with a neighborhood plan um, and a neighborhood rezoning. What do you think about how that should look and how that should go? Because as you said, there's, um, you know, it's either developers often coming up with with the ideas or it's the mayoral administration coming with mostly a a sort of mostly baked plan to a community and that immediately engenders um, pushback even if it's a really good plan, right? there's a scarcity mentality, there's nimbyism, there's very real fear of displacement, but that often gets also tied up in people not fully sort of getting that more housing is not always um, is not always the enemy, right? I mean, more housing can really be actually a solution to displacement. Um, I've said a lot. How are you thinking about uh, some of these things about how we use, um, rezoning community plans, uh, these processes, what you want to see from the new mayoral administration, how should this go in your view here, um, in 2022 and beyond, as we, you know, the city looks to try to use a variety of tools to both create more housing, but also, you know, help communities, improve communities and so forth.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's a hard question without the buy-in for a for a you know citywide vision um, on how all of the parts of the city work together. You know, and I'm, I'm like a kumbaya person. I'm like, mm-hmm. yo, let's let's just get together. Let's just talk it out. All right, let's let's just, let's just make it happen. It's cool. I got you. We're not gonna agree on everything, but 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 we can work it out. We can work it out, right? But it's it's uh, that's that's not where we're starting from. And so, you know, I think the the first Piece, you know, I, I I believe in in advocacy should be simple, although policy is very complex, right? And so so that that very first piece of advocacy is like let's just get the the commitment for funding that we need to to build what we know the the market will will not build for, right? So that's why I keep fighting for the the four billion dollars. Uh, annually in capital funds for preservation and construction. And then, yes, I, I think my my colleagues, you know, and, and I and I got to say, I'm, I'm very proud of, uh, you know, colleagues, a council member wrestler uh, who is building um, or, or supporting the construction of one of the biggest stabilization bed sites, uh, shelters in his district in in the history of, of their district, uh, Councilmember Shulman, who for the first time as a council member is inviting the production of uh, affordable housing in the district. Uh, she lives in a, you know, more middle income, more moderate income district. And folks there, you know, don't want to see anything affordable. They're like, don't, don't, you know, there are folks that will say, like, don't have those people come in. But she's like, no, you know, every, every community needs to, needs to chip in. And so I got to say, you know, Shahana, like there's so many different council members who are taking this different tact and pushing back on, on residents and changing the conversation around uh the, the, the responsibility that we all have as new yorkers to be there for each other in this particular way right like let's open up our communities to affordable housing supportive housing um you know uh, uh making sure that that our most vulnerable have homes right so i think that that is critical um and i'll you know we'll continue to look for that in in my colleagues and push for that among the colleagues because sometimes you know sometimes most often we have to listen and follow and, and, you know, kind of carry into fruition what our communities want. But sometimes our communities are not right. Right. Sometimes our community are just I don't want anything next to me at all ever. And that's that's not good for for the greater good of New York City. So I think there's there's an important role that we as uh, elected leaders have to play there. Right, um, and then on on the other hand, you know, I think that there's we we are fortunate in New York City to have a really robust advocacy community, right? We have the the planning organization and the housing organizations and the CHPCs and the this and then that and you know we we have a lot of uh, folks who are chiming in and and putting out a lot of great ideas about development and you know the future of the city, and so in. I think for now we what we have to do is work with what we have. So we have sort of these long-range visions, and I'm sure that the mayor's housing plan will be yet another in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. But you know, let's let's drive that conversation forward and let's lead with our values, which is, you know, not that we all share the exact same values, but but certainly. That, that we have to look out for the most vulnerable New Yorkers, that we you know, do want to continue to prosper as a city, that we do want to continue to, to be the, one of the economic engines of the United States, right? And that we want to do that in a fashion that is equitable, right? And so having these principles drive us will be key.
0: How do you get more people or, or disagree, I guess, with this principle, but how do you get more people, especially your progressive colleagues in the city council, to Understand or buy into the idea that it also is looking out for the most vulnerable to upzone middle income and above areas to allow for significantly more housing. I mean, you know, um, a a lot of city council members and again, maybe some of this is because of this absence of of bigger planning. But but in the absence of that, you got to face reality. As you said, the mayor's housing plan is going to be the closest thing we have for any you know, in any recent, you know, uh, upcoming time to a comprehensive plan, it's not going to be a comprehensive plan, but it's going to be a big, a big plan, a vision. Um, so many, uh, colleagues don't, you know, and again, they're listening often to their constituents and often to the loudest constituents and often to those constituents who already are the, are the landowners. Uh, um, yep. but they want to say okay we will allow a fully affordable housing development on this lot in our district we will welcome a supportive housing uh development on this lot in our district but i don't want to upzone you know these these residential areas to allow slightly taller buildings to allow more people to to move in i mean there's a real divide there there's a real problem yeah. <laughs> there is that you know how does that get tackled? Mayor Adams has said some very interesting things on this in his campaign. We'll see what his housing plan looks like. I think Jessica Katz, his chief housing officer, uh, if he lets her really run run with her her point of view, um, you know this could get very interesting. But how are you thinking about those questions and and using zoning and using planning? to really increase housing supply especially in middle income and above areas of the city.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh I'm I'm like chuckling over here because <laughs> these are it's it's so important but they're really they're really hard Very conversations hard. to have. They're they're really hard conversations to have. I mean, I think like first um you know is is acknowledging that we all come from different walks, right? We've we've all heard different things, right? You know, I I have a district, we're 94% renters, just six percent homeowners. And then those six percent homeowners, the bulk of them are living in cooperatives, right? We're we're just like a walk-up district. We're very, very dense in the in the Northwest Bronx. Um and yet, you know, as you said, the some of the most vocal folks that I have are the single family homeowners and, you know, the owners in 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 general, you know, that live in co-ops and live in this and they're like, we don't want shelters and we don't want this. and We don't want that. And we have to do this about crime and that about this. And, you know, it's it's pushing, pushing back. Right. It's, it's having having that, you know, humility, I would say, to be like, OK, I don't I don't know about. I I don't know the solution to to the education crisis, right? Like I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to the folks who who really work on this. And I'm going to talk to all the folks that disagree with each other so I can come up with with my perspective. And I think in, in housing, it's similar, right? Um, one, and and i'll give you like an i won't i won't use their name but I, I had a really great conversation like one of the first times that i was meeting one of my colleagues right um or meeting for the first time and they represent a very low density area um you know single family homes and things like that and i represent high-res right and uh you know renters and they have they have homeowners right and we we get to talking about housing and the housing crisis and i say to them i'm like you know, how do you feel about accessory dwelling units? And and they go, well, that's the thing that gets that that really messes up all the parking. Right. And I was like, that's that's an interesting point. That's that's a really good point. Um, you know, I, densification and and like making room for more people in the city of New York doesn't look the same or doesn't need to look the same everywhere. In a place like where you represent, it is using what you have and allowing more people to live there, you know, with with slight modifications. And when you think about things like parking, and you think about, you know, um, the the ways that that density changes the way that you live on the ground, you plan for it. You just you 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 count it out and, and you model it, and you you figure out, you know, how do you mitigate that? But the greater good is that you are providing more housing for folks. And you know, let's be real, it's happening anyway, right? People are living in basements anyway. People are living in garages anyway, and so the reality would be that you're making you're making conditions safer for those people who live who already live in these accessory units that are not legal. Um, you're you're giving them standards that protect them, and you are making room for for more folks. And that's that's your contribution. That can be your contribution to to the crisis, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that's really that's really what it boils down to is like, let's you know, we don't all come from the same place. Let's have real talk conversation and let's talk about how you solve for the things you're concerned about. Parking is like a thing, right? Like there are parts of the city that, mm-hmm. you know, don't have access to to transit and don't have access to this. So, you know, let's let's have that conversation and talk about how we solve for it.
0: But you, you, do you see it as a goal for the Adams administration, the Department of City Planning to go into more communities and say, let's create community plans that involve upzoning, but let's work together. And this is what they say they're going to do. But, you know, it, we'll see what the scale looks like and how I mean, it, it, again, it seems to me, you know, especially lo- looking at the de Blasio years that the importance of sort of mayoral level leadership is so essential in in, in getting any of this type of stuff done. But um, but is that, do you do you see that as a goal? I mean, it, should that, short again of comprehensive planning, should that be a goal of, yes. of, of the department? Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think there's every every single community, every council district, every community district has a role to play here in the housing crisis. It doesn't look, the solution doesn't look the same everywhere, but every place should be figuring out, okay, how do we contribute? You know, how do we build more? I think there, there are some uh, organizations that are gonna be coming out with interesting analysis about where has the bulk of affordable housing been created over the last, you know, 10 years or or whatever? And you can see, right, it's mostly low income neighborhoods producing the low income housing. And that's a fair housing problem. Right. That's that's a problem of, you know, concentrating, you know, poverty. And we, we have to figure out how to create opportunities in other places as well
0: and Mayor Adams has spoken about this and he said I want to you know I want to upzone parts of Manhattan and we need to bring you know the use mandatory inclusionary housing and and create affordable housing in in wealthier areas of the city and and that's part of um tackling the housing crisis, tackling the affordable housing crisis, integration efforts and so forth. Um, I only have a few more minutes with your uh, city council member, Pierrino Sanchez, a Democrat representing the 14th council district in the Bronx, chair of the housing and buildings committee in the city council. Um, I wanted to give you a a minute or two on just two more things, one being the work you're doing with oversight of the Department of Buildings and um, code enforcement, fire prevention. Do you want to take a a minute to talk about your priorities there?
1: Yes, absolutely. So (laughs) we have um, actually among both DOB and HPD, some of the highest vacancy rates uh, in in terms of headcount in the city of New York and when you zoom in to DOB it's a lot of frontline staff that are not uh those those positions are vacant. Uh so the in the council response we we are asking uh you know we're we're pushing for the administration and for the final budget to exempt DOB and HPD from the peg so that they can, you know, backfill these frontline positions, right? This is a matter of health and safety. This these are the DOB staff in particular, they're the ones that go and inspect construction sites, they're the ones that go in and inspect you know the the stability of a building after there's been a fire right and so we need to make sure that these inspections can happen on a timely basis so we're we're pushing for for this and we're also you know looking into strengthening the 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 ways the ways that the agencies work together, uh, because in, in reality, there is overlap between HPD, DOB and FDNY in terms of the work that they do in the inspections, but there hasn't always been the, the coordination necessary. So the administration, uh, the mayor announced via executive order a few weeks ago that he is going to be uh, asking the agencies to work together more closely and that the council will pro- be providing that oversight. Um, and then I, I would I would just say that in, in general for code enforcement, you know, we have on the on the tenant protection side, and then on the construction and and sort of uh, production side, we have um, we we just many things are broken. We we don't have, we're running out of time, but, but so, so many things are broken, right? Like, you know, uh, violations that are, you have hundreds of violations that are batch closed by HPD, for instance, uh, where a heat and hot water complaint hasn't been addressed. And so we're really going to be looking into those, those protocols, those like very wonky questions about, you know, what triggers this and then that, and then, and, and the next step, um, because we, we have to get it right for the safety of you New know, York
0: Workers. last thing take a minute um the kingsbridge armory in your district what's the what's the vision what are you going to try to make happen there
1: absolutely biggest armory in the world uh you know the i i believe it's the length of five uh the size of five football stadiums you know it's it's this massive beautiful structure in Kingsbridge, and it has you know it's been around since 1912 it's it's been the home of 10,000 foot soldiers and in, in the you know after world war ii or during world war ii um it's been the home of hip-hop concerts during the birth of hip-hop in the bronx right 1600 Sedgwick is not not too far away from the armory and and yet you know we we have um, after it's been in city control and since the early 90s we have tried and tried again and tried again uh, to redevelop the armory and we have not we've not done it so you know the the latest piece of news with with my armory with our armory in, in Kingsbridge, is that the the developer selected during the Bloomberg administration, you know, is is not going to be developing it. We have this new opportunity to to uh, do something at the armory. So, you know, I want to I want to kind of respect the legacy of organizing that that our community has done over the, the past 25 years in trying to to redevelop the armory. But we we got to we got to we got to do it up there. Right. Um, and what we're talking about is, you know, hearing the community, what they're saying is they they want you know a cultural asset? They want good jobs created. Uh, they want good union jobs. Um, they want community facility space. They want after-school programs, right? And so this is this is really the time. So we'll be we'll be fighting for uh, for money from the administration. So uh, mayor and uh, EDC look forward to working with you. Please give me all of the money for the armory's redevelopment, uh, but also with state and federal partners to to you know uh, roll out a vision at the armory.
0: And is that a vision with the government taking the lead or working with private developers?
1: So we're, we're starting off with community visioning, um, you know, just like a you know a sort of almost standard uh, planning process, but I really wanted to be community informed, um, and I'm already hearing certain things like you know we don't we don't want a big mall, which you know not surprising because in 2009 related uh, got got chased out of of the Armory and and, and of the Bronx uh, when they proposed the mall idea they you know even even though the mayor supported it uh, the council overrode the mayor's veto and you know it's not. It's not what the community wants. There's a lot of small businesses there. And so there's going to be a lot of parameters that uh, a, dev- a development team, question mark who, uh, a development team has to meet in order to be selected. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's really going to be important to me. And I know to my colleagues in elected office here in the Northwest Bronx that, you know, we're listening, we're building wealth, building wealth, building wealth, building wealth as we started this conversation. Yeah. You know, uh, in the neighborhood and and really using this uh, beautiful structure to change the metaphor, something that beautiful and vast and, you know, with so much potential should be invested in just like our community, which is vast and beautiful, should also be invested in.
0: All right. A good place to leave it. City Council Member Sanchez is a Democrat representing the 14th Council District in the Bronx. She's chair of the Committee on Housing and Buildings in the City Council and a number of other things uh, as I started off the conversation in terms of her, her resume and background. Thank you very much for the time and we'll catch up down the road.
1: Thank you so much, Ben.